National Rescue Consultants presents Train to Live podcast with Herb Tyler, Greg Rogers, and Rob Ramirez. Talking all things fire and technical rescue. So pour a drink and enjoy the show. Good evening, gentlemen. What's going on? What's up, Herb? How are you? Chief? What's good, going buddy. on, Pablo? Yes, sir. Very good. Hey, uh, just for the listeners that are tuned in, uh, I know they don't look like Greg and Rob, but uh, I had to call in my brothers for a fill-in because Rob's out of town and, and Greg's currently on the pile down at Surfside with uh, Florida Task Force 2. So uh, I called Pablo and I called Chief and uh, they said, hey, let's do it. So here we are. I said, it's what it takes. It takes brothers helping brothers. Hey, man, it's literally almost like if I'm Rob, because it's Rob is Cuban. He's Spanish. I'm Cuban. I'm Spanish. <laughs> it's you just literally replaced. It's just interchangeable, except for the fact that he's just much better looking and smarter and all the, all the above. <laughs> exactly. Well, now, not, I'm a lot younger than Greg, but I couldn't grow that mustache. I tried. <laughs> it was not an overnight task. No, no, no. That, that That's his signature uh, mustache right there, man. <laughs> um, first and foremost, man, I, w- I want to thank you guys for, for coming on. It's uh, it's literally an honor having you guys on. It's an honor to to be able to call you guys brothers because it's uh, the, the two of us, uh, you and Pablo, have just became true brothers to me. And, and I talk to you guys all the time and, and I appreciate everything, man. Honestly, it's a it's a true honor to call you guys brothers. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate it. Thank uh, you, brother. Appreciate you. So tonight we got a special guest, and uh, before we get into it, we're gonna just kind of take a moment of silence, and uh, we want to wish our brothers and sisters that are out there right now on uh, the Surfside Collapse in Miami. Um, I'm sure you guys recognize that familiar face there on the left. That's uh, Greg Rogers right there. He's currently down there on on the collapse. So he uh, he got called 22 hours after the accident happened, and uh, he got deployed. So he's currently down there right now. So uh, let's keep all the brothers and sisters in our prayers um, and make sure that they get back safe when they're dealing with all that. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's a terrible thing, and and man, I pray for everybody down there. It's uh. It's not anything you think to see in your own in your own city, and uh, I'm just grateful that that there's a bunch of studs down there that are willing to go and and crawl through that stuff and and save any lives that they can save, and for those who have unfortunately passed on, can bring them home to their families. Absolutely, uh, you know, I, I said this um, uh, on my personal Facebook when 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 it happened. If there is a if if there is a small bright side, and I and I use that term very very loosely, and I, I apologize to, to anybody uh, with the term in general. But if there's a small bright side to 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 it, it happened literally in the backyard of two of the best, the absolute best um, USAR teams on the planet. Uh, you know, some places some places in this country, some places in this world have to wait for days uh for that type of response and uh um and god bless everybody brother i can't even i can't even imagine so uh that's that's uh i can't imagine 
what the families are going through, what the what what our what our men and women on all the task forces are going through going through. So God bless them all, man. One hundred percent, man. It's a it's one of those things that no no one expected that to happen. And the men and women that responded immediately and put their life on hold to go out there to potentially start saving uh, the trapped and and work their ass off, man. It's a, uh, <clears throat> it takes an emotional toll on people and I don't care how tough you are or whatever the case may be. That's going to wear on you. Absolutely. Yep. Um, yep. There, there are so many uh, different support mechanisms out there. There, there's a ton of people out there on scene right now offering peer support and stuff like that. So it's huge, man. Um, so with that being said, I, I just want to wish that and say a prayer that they all come back and, and, I mean, honestly, it's a loss for words. I'm never uh, normally at a loss for words, but that's a huge tragedy that uh, that happened, man. And it's uh, it's sad. It, it's- it, it is. <clears throat> it is. You know, and to piggyback on what Pablo was saying, you know, about the brotherhood and, and the positive is let's talk about all the people that have come down to Surfside to help, man. I mean, from Israel and Canada and Fairfax, Virginia. I mean, all was it six, seven teams from Florida. Yeah. Uh, I think they have LA County there from what I was reading. Uh, it's just absolutely amazing, man, to see that the brotherhood, you know, people th- want to know if it's alive and well, well, I'm telling you, man, when they flew from Israel to come help in South Florida, I can tell you the brotherhood's real, man. Yeah. Uh, no matter what's going on in the country, man, I, I always believe this, that that shit doesn't really affect the fire service. You know, the fire service does not see, um, religion does not see colors, does not, does not see race, the far- firemen, Firewomen, firemen, firefighters are—that's just what we do. We yeah. we uh, we enjoy the job, you know, at the at the at the true essence of it. And uh, this is just another example of what we really do for a living and how we really feel about the job. Um, so, man, I, I'm I'm at a loss for it, just like you. I'm at a loss for it, and fucking God bless all. God bless them all, man. Seriously. Yeah, God bless them. Well, so uh, <clears throat> when we were sitting there in in with Rob not being able to make it on and uh, Greg obviously being deployed. I reached out to him. I said, Hey, uh, we're going we're gonna to do another podcast. They were like, Hey, do it. Told them that you guys were coming on. They were all in. And uh, I spoke with uh, chief Johnson and I said, Hey man, I said, I'd really like to bring guests on. And uh, literally chief goes, say no more. I'll take care of it. And uh, I'm going to let chief, go into it and introduce our special guest tonight. All right, man. Well, look, special guest tonight is a dear friend of mine, one of my very best friends. Uh, Worked alongside of him for many years, fought fire alongside of him many years, and he's got a couple funny stories about that too. Uh, But we'll get into it, right? This is uh, District Chief Jason Corthell. He's a fourth-generation firefighter. Started his firefighting career as a volunteer with Cy Creek up in uh, northwest Texas, or northwest Houston, I'm sorry, in 2004. After attending fire school, he took a slight detour and went to the military. He was a member of the U.S. Marine Corps from 2006 to 10. And as soon as he returned home from, from his military stint, he resumed his firefighting perse- profession by returning to Side Creek and then eventually being hired full-time with us in Pearland. Jason served with Pearland for five years, resigning as a lieutenant in 2016 and returning to his home department of Side Creek to serve as the district chief. Jason also works part-time at Lone Star College Sci-Fair Fire Academy, 
<clears throat> along alongside with me there as well. So it's really good to have them back and, and be working alongside of them. Uh, Jason has a great passion and drive for progressing mental health in the, in the fire service through both professional and uh, personal battles and experiences. He has implemented and influenced many others in the pursuit of providing first responders the help that they need. The Cortell family resides in Hockley, Texas, where he's happily married with three children and enjoys woodworking, sports, traveling, breweries, and grilling. And I can tell you from personal experience, boys, uh, Cortell is one of a kind. Uh, his family is like my family. His wife, Patty, and his kids are just absolutely amazing, good friends. Uh, we send pictures back and forth all the time of, of old memories of the kids, my kid and, and his three kids when they were little. So, uh, man, it's an honor to have Jason here tonight. It's an honor for me to be on this podcast, and and I'm ready to dig it out with him. All right. <clears throat> Without further ado, let's introduce Hey, what's going on, everybody? How's it going, Chief? Oh, man, it's going. Thanks for having me. What's hey. up, my man? What's up, brother? It's awesome to be here. Thanks for thinking of me. Yeah, absolutely, man. No better person I could think of. <laughs> it, it, it was literally I asked him, hey, I want to bring a guest on. And when I tell you no bullshit, he goes, say no more, I'll take care of it. That, that was literally Dude, the conversation. Yep. That's so awesome to be thought of in that regard by not only you, but but obviously my best friend. So that's awesome, man. Like I said, I really appreciate the platform and uh, trying to get this message and this uh, process out there. <laughs> Yeah, man. Well, I mean, Jason, if you would, man, take a little bit of time, brother, and, and tell us more about yourself. Tell us, you know, tell us about your path. I mean, we kind of went through it in your in your biography there, but, you know, what 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 path did you take to get where you are today, where you sit as a district chief and, and uh, there in Side Creek? Yeah, so I uh, graduated high school in uh, 2004. Um, right when I graduated high school, I, uh, I came down to Cypress, Texas. Um, I got with one of my other buddies there, who's also one of uh, the district chiefs or the battalion chiefs, I'm sorry, down in Pearland, Jack Johnson. We went through fire school together. Um, and then after fire school, I went to the Marine Corps and uh, got my EMT in the Marine Corps and came out and went to Pearland. And that was my first full-time job. Um, stayed with Cypress Creek, um, eventually went part-time. And then uh, opportunity arose in 2016 to uh, take a district chief job that I didn't think I was ready for it all at my age. And um, it was a total blessing in disguise, um, the way that things have been now, um, how fast we're growing as a department um, and the opportunities that I have to uh, have the impact um, in such a young growing department. Um, I think that that's something that's, um, that can be lost sometimes um, in a small department is um, people don't understand the amount of impact you have um, is so much greater in a department that's not yet established um, in their ways. You can really influence them one way or another. So that's what I've tried to do. Um, I've tried to find my niche and make a way um, possible for um, the betterment of the personnel and the firefighters. And that's that's one thing that has always been instilled in me by all my all my leaders is to always take care of your people. When in doubt, side on taking care of your people and you can't go wrong. So that's what I'm just trying to do. Well, man, that's awesome. I tell you, you're doing that, man. You're a shining example, man. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm very proud of you, man. Everything that you've accomplished and overcome in your life and, and to sit where you sit today. Uh, it's, uh, it's just simply amazing, Jason. So, uh, I'm, I'm very proud of you, my dude. Um, I would like to say that, uh, I think I was a, a small part of your, uh, of your growth there as an officer. 
but uh, my favorite memory of you and me together, man, was March 21st of 2016 when uh, you relieved me or when I relieved you for the last time and we took that picture there at Station 5. So um, of all the memories we have together, that's one of my favorites where it's kind of, you know, um, you kind of grew up and, and you took on your your own path there into Side Creek and it was awesome to see you go and, and thrive, man. And, um, you know, don't ever doubt yourself, my dude, because you're doing awesome, man. You're exactly what you need to be as a district chief and, and you're the leader that you always said you wanted to be. So very proud of you, man. I appreciate that, brother. So, uh, chief, I got a question for you. Uh, you're a fourth generation fireman. Correct. Yes. So that you knew from day one that that's just what you were meant to do. Yeah, I've always told my dad, I mean, if I didn't make it in some type of professional sport that uh, I wanted to be a firefighter. And uh, now that I'm in this profession, I'm sure it doesn't take being a fourth generation firefighter to feel like you'd be useless doing anything else. And that's just how I felt. I mean, I did four years in the Marine Corps and I could not wait. I was counting down the days until I could get back and uh, get back on a fire truck and get back in the station. I would watch YouTube videos every single day um, that I was on duty in the Marine Corps. And I would just, I'd just watch fire trucks responding. I mean, as squirrely as that may sound, uh, that's how bad I missed it. Um, and so um, my great grandpa was um, a fire chief in Oregon and my grandpa was a fire chief in Idaho. And my dad is a captain right now um, in Tualatin Valley uh, up near Portland. That's awesome, man. Yes, sir. Uh, Hi, and your dad's got a pretty badass job outside of being a captain too. Yeah, my dad works for Nike, so uh, I get to hook up pretty good. <laughs> oh, shit. Damn, man. See, now that's a nice hookup to have. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. 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 It sounds like you and me might just be best That's what I'm saying. Team. I get to make a lot of friends that way, too. <laughs> <laughs> hey, his dad. His dad's one of a kind, boys. I'm telling you right now. I, I call him Pops, and, and I mean it, man. His dad, if, if you meet him one time, he'll give you a hug on the neck, and he'll say, you're my son. So, <laughs> yeah, old Michael. So, so Chief, what uh, – I didn't really get a chance to to go into depth on it, but with, with you taking the new job and and becoming that district chief and that that young growing department, what is it that that maybe you found that has been an obstacle or a hurdle um, taking that new job, um, or any advice that you can give some of these upcoming officers to maybe help them? Yeah, I mean. I the, the biggest hurdle for me was this was a new, this was not only a new job. It wasn't only a new position for me. It was a new position for the entire department. We've never had district chiefs before. Um, that's how new we were. Um, since then we've gone on and we're a, I would say we're probably, a, a, a you know, half, half full-time part-time half volunteer department at this point. Uh, we've hired on full-time crews. We have three, uh, full-timer staffing each one of our trucks with a part-time volunteer riding that fourth seat. Uh, we're about to have five stations. We're doing three shifts. So, I mean, we're moving, we're moving that full-time uh, direction right now. Um, so trying to build that um, at, and, and be in a district chief role was um, a little uh, cumbersome at first, but um, my big thing was trying to find my niche. Where can I help this department the most? Um, I don't want to pretend to be good at something that I'm not good at and tell them, yeah, sure, I'll do it and be a yes man and then either fail miserably or jack something up worse than it needed to be from the from the jump. So I knew that I needed to find something I was good at quick and something I had experience in 
and really divulge into that to make my worth in the department. Um, and, and that was my biggest thing was to make the biggest impact I could in the area that I was probably the most comfortable with. Um, and then obviously um, a little bit of the officer side that comes out is, is um, you know, when you're starting out as a lieutenant or a captain, a lot of times you're in charge of people that might be older than you. Um, I run into that a lot and it takes time um, to gain those old heads trust. It really does. Um, and, and so, you know, respect isn't, is, is earned, you know, it's not given. And that, and that's a true statement as cliche as it is. But, um, I just think as a young officer, as a young chief officer, those guys will come around, uh, once you, once you prove yourself. Yeah, that, that's very well said. It's, uh, so similar to you, I got, I got hired on at a very young age mm -hmm. in the fire service. And when, when you go through and, and you start, whether taking the job super serious or, or whatever it takes, I mean, we, no matter what department you work at, there's always those few guys that are just ate up with it. And if they promote early, you do run into that, hey, the, the old heads might not take you as serious. And just because you got the bugle doesn't mean anything. Right. They, they respect the rank they might not respect the person right so respecting the rank is one thing but gaining that respect and that trust as the person that's where that comes into an everyday non-stop you have to work at it you have to make them understand that hey i'm here for you so i, I could definitely see where that is something that takes a lot of work and it, it is something that you got to work on every day so uh i i see it in the fire service a lot because I'm, I'm very fortunate to travel a lot some of these guys end up uh, getting that, getting that bugle, and it turns into brass poisoning. Mm -hmm. they, they get the bugle, and they automatically think, you know what, I'm God's gift to the fire service. No, I'm going to be honest with you. You just tested good that day. Yes, that's right. That's right. You just tested good. And, and said it better. And, and and that's the reality of it. But and 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 that's just a culture that has to change. But it's it's probably been that way since way back in your great granddad's time so yeah it's just one of those things and you you can't lose sight and of what your uh, mission is and within the uh fire service so it's it's awesome man and uh very well said and i'm writing down notes as you're talking so i appreciate it oh of course not a problem thank you <laughs> yeah man i mean and i think it's important you know for all the listeners out there to understand right like it does not matter what color your shirt is or how many trumpets you have on your chest, man. It's, it's, it's the person beyond that, that makes the position. It, it's not the trumpets. It's not the color of your shirt. If, if you're a chief and you want to wear white or you want to wear blue or you want to wear gray or whatever, it doesn't matter. As long as the person beyond that shirt, that shirt is a good human being and knows how to treat people and knows how to, how to motivate people and, and express discipline. Like Pablo says all the time, right? Like when motivation stops, discipline takes over. So if you're that type of person beyond the shirt, uh, then that's going to be the sign of a true leader. And that's the people you want to surround yourself with in your fire department. Yeah, that's uh, exactly right. I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Just to, just to, from, from a tailboard standpoint, I'm not, a, I'm not an officer, but um, you know, the senior man goes a long way with that, with that same style. A lot of people think that just because you have time on the job, that equals to respect. Uh, that, I, and I could not disagree anymore with that anymore. 
um, respect is, you know, at the scene, at the tail, at the tailboard, at the fireman's level, respect is earned. You know, yeah. what do you do with, what do you do with your, with your, throughout your day? You know, like, uh, uh, do you just come in and, and, you know, tits up on the recliner or do you just, you know, do you go out and, and, and actually go and, and work and earn and earn the trust of your crew? Um, and you know, there's no, there is no boring days. There shouldn't, have, there shouldn't be a boring day at a firehouse. You could always literally find something to do. The other day at, the, the, the day at my firehouse, uh, we literally, I don't know if you guys saw uh, on my personal Facebook, literally it was a rainy day, whatever. We brought out, we brought out our cribbing. We put them, we, we got the cribbing and the, and the airbags and put them inside and lifted up the pool table. We were just, yeah. You know, messing around with the pool table and hey, lift up the pool table with the cribbing and, and the airbags, you know, kill two birds with one stone, you know, do something yeah. kind of fun. And at the same time, you get some training in. You know, yeah. so it's like, um, yeah, same thing with the same thing with with the with the with the men and women at the firehouse that 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 have time on the job. You know, like, uh, you know, it, it's it's earned. Uh, it is earned, not given. And just because you have a little bit of time on the job does not mean shit. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. Hey, and let me tell you, just seeing a pool table in the firehouse got me excited. I think <laughs> I, I think, I think I'm gonna go apply at Marion County, man. <laughs> that thing, that thing, and, and, and for the guys that are listening tonight from my firehouse, that thing was so freaking wonky off to the side we're like dude we got to do something with it we're like just get the cribbing and the airbags <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome oh, man. so so chief what a uh chief johnson talked to us a little bit about uh some of the mental health stuff that you're into um, yeah, man. I, I really would like you to just dive deep into it and, and and let us know where it all started for you yeah so interestingly enough um like Pablo said, when I went into this thing, um, as far as like the mental health project, I wanted to make it as uh, simplistic as possible so that the rookie coming in on their first shift knew um, the resources, but more importantly, knew how to also contribute um, to help others. Um, And that they knew that, yes, there was help for them, but there are also ways to empower them to help other people, too. And so that was my first goal in mind was to make sure that um, it was all inclusive. It wasn't just, you know, somebody with a bunch of, you know, bugles coming down, uh, you know, saying this is what we're going to do. And this is the flavor of the month. And here it is. You know, I wanted it to be sustainable, but I wanted it to be all inclusive as well. Um, So as I digress, where I got my passion for it was in 2014. started going through a divorce um, and that turned into all kinds of addiction and alcoholism and all kinds of stuff, uh, just bad, bad way of living. Um, and um, in the fire service as a whole, I don't blame the fire department I was with at all, um, but the fire service as a whole, I think that that was kind of the the ending point of where we were lacking um, in 2015. I went through a, a catastrophic uh, knee injury um, due to a collapse in an apartment building um, messed me up good. On top of that, I was going through a divorce. Um, I had moved out of my house. I didn't have anyone there to watch after me, take care of me, nothing except my brothers. They all did great jobs. Uh, a lot of times people would stop by and I wouldn't want them to because I'd be sleeping and they'd just be there to annoy me. Um, but a lot of the firefighter guys would come by and say hi to me and take care of me. Um but a lot of that came with um, some unforeseen um, popularity as well. Um, you know, when when you hit the news articles and the Facebook and the Instagrams and stuff like that, and there's stuff coming out, 
you know, about a firefighter that got hurt in a, in a building collapse and people start coming out of the woodwork. And um, most of the time it's with good intent, but sometimes it's not. And uh, it can get overwhelming pretty quick if you don't have somebody there to kind of uh, filter all that stuff for you. And of course, I didn't have anybody. Um, I was by myself going through a divorce and dealing with addiction and um, alcoholism and all that. So um, not knowing where to go and not having a source. Uh, the first thing that I went to was my faith and um, going back and getting into church and seeking um, the faith route. Um, growing up, that's just how it was. Um, I knew that I always had somewhere to go within the church. And so that's the only thing I knew that was my basis. So I went there, um, talked to the pastor, kind of got me back on my feet, got me rolling a little bit, um, and then got into some more um, some more situations where I needed help in the fire service. And so I went to the chaplain and I talked to the chaplain. I said, hey, man, this is what's going on. Again, he helped me out. And so uh, I started looking back at that. And, I, and then I realized that I had a lot of peer support during that time because I hadn't gone to formal counseling. So I was like, man, this this peer support thing might be might have some value to it. So then I started thinking about peer support. And then I started uh, going to formal counseling. And lo and behold, what is it? Probably uh, four years after my incident, I've uh, I've kind of tend, tended to uh, slow down a little bit in my life. And uh, I want to affect others in that way. And so when I first got to Cypress Creek, I started a wellness and fitness initiative. And it was the um, it was the goal of mine to put a gym inside of every firehouse that we have, which is only, which was only four at the time. Now it's soon to be five this fall. So we um, we went ahead and we opened up Station 21's gym and it was a brand new renovation. I got to spend a lot of money on a lot of good equipment for the guys and the gals of our department. Um, and then I got to take whatever uh, money we had left and put spot equipment in our other stations that are smaller, um, but they uh, they got to have those. And at that point, I thought I was pretty much done. I was like, wellness and fitness initiative is over. Like That's good. I gave them gym equipment. They should be all right. And uh, we had a lady in our department who uh, her name is Dr. Liz Fletcher. She used to volunteer with us and now she's uh, one of our safety officers. And she's a um, she's a professor at University of Houston. Super smart lady, super intelligent lady. And she came up to me and she said, have you ever thought about putting together a mental wellness program? as part of the wellness and fitness initiative. And I said, well, no, I said, I just thought a wellness and fitness initiative like it was just working out, you know, and getting into shape. And um, so she approached me and, and I told her that I would work with her on it. And I never knew or never thought in a million years that it would get to the volume and to the um, effectiveness that it has today. Um, we put together a program that's a three tiered program um, it has every um, faucet that I used when I was going through my um, situations and my issues. It has chaplaincy, it has peer support, and it has um, the formal counseling involved. Um, and each one of those peer or each one of those tiers have uh, a long story behind them. Um, so, and, and that's what I like explaining to people is the process that we went to go about getting all of those things set. In the middle of the launch, we lost our chaplains. Uh, the chaplain group went under because of COVID and funding and all that stuff. And so we had to really switch gears. 
Um, and that was an awesome experience to go through um, because I got to seek out chaplains within our own department, people that were interested in doing it. And then I got to fund that through the department. And um, we're going to have our first two chaplains announced in the next coming weeks. So, I mean, it's just really cool stuff like that that's happening, man. Our peer support groups launched. Um, it just launched not too long ago. Um, our formal counselors, um, we've embedded counselors in the fire station. And so you can imagine how that was first received. Um, but now it's a completely different story. So I'm willing to answer any questions about anything about the program that anyone has. Um, it's just it's my passion. I would love to um to help other people and coach other people through the process. That's my end goal is to make sure that nobody feels like they're lost, whether you're a rookie or a fire chief. Um, for those departments that don't have those three faucets, I feel like um, they're very easily attainable. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, <clears throat> uh, Jason, I, I know that all this derives from, for what you were saying, your catastrophic event. Mm -hmm. And I know that I wake up every morning on March 27th and I text you the same thing every year. Like, I'm so glad that God chose you, that God chose to keep you. And I mean that. And it's because of nights like tonight and everything that you've been doing over the last few years of going around and spreading this message. And if you don't mind, I'd like you to bring us through that day and and then kind of bring us deeper into what you developed uh, to make the job better and, and what you developed to put the message out there to, to get people uh, the help that they need and, and feel okay about getting it. Yeah. I mean, so after that day, like I said, I felt a lot of isolation, um, a lot of separation. Um, I was already struggling and my go-to was to get to the fire station in any shape I could um, sober, drunk, whatever. Um, and find refuge at the firehouse because I knew that if I was at the firehouse, I was with people who loved me. I felt safe because I didn't have that at home because I was going through a divorce. And so um, I would show up to the firehouse in any type of condition um, and I would try to stick it out and make it happen um, the best that I could. And um, there's a couple um, people that noticed and took me under their wing and said, Hey man, like you got to straighten up. People are noticing some changes in you. And, um, you know, I took heed to that and I, and I made some changes, but again, temporary. Um, and then once that accident happened, um, about a year later when I was, um, kind of through going through my divorce, um, the isolation set in, um, the, I guess, worthiness, there was a little bit of survivor's guilt, not that anyone died, but I did lose a brother of mine um, from the fire service. He quit the fire service because he felt like he could no longer continue on. And um, so that, that, that part sucked is why did it affect him that way and me this way? Why is it empowering to me and why did it hurt him so bad? Um, and so I felt like, man, if I could just take the take the heat for him or take the fall for him, I would. Um, so I had to deal with a lot of that as well. And um, I didn't have anywhere to go that I felt like in the fire service that someone would understand me. So, like I said, my peers helped me out. They were great. My friends were great, but I needed more. And so I went to the chaplain, still needed more. And I finally went to a counselor who 
pretty much understood what I was going through. Um, but again, there was a lack of, do they understand first responders and what we do and how do I find a counselor like that? <clears throat> and so within this program that I've constructed, I've taken a local counseling group that's in our district. And I know sometimes people don't have that benefit, but you'd be surprised with how many counselors might reside in your district, um, that can do some, you know, contractual work, but Regardless, um, I, I got with these uh, this counseling group and I asked them if they would be willing to come into um, an agreement with us through an MOU, Memorandum of Understanding, and uh, contractually um, get with us to allow our people um, counseling sessions. That was my first step was to get counseling sessions. Next step was to get them for free and what amount. Um, so we got them seven free counseling sessions that, that the department will pay for. Um, and also, um, I needed to make sure that I put counselors in the box that were ready to go that understood first responders. And so they had one counselor who had a little bit of first responder work as a paramedic, and that was it. And so I thought, well, what if we embed counselors that don't have any kind of first responder experience so they can get to know our people, ride out on the trucks, know what we see, know what we go through. Um, and that project uh, is still ongoing right now. Um, the guys absolutely love the counselor we have that embeds with us. Um, we've had just such a rise in um, the numbers of folks seeking counseling. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of a two-edged sword. You look at the numbers and you're like, man, like we have this many people who need counseling. Like that's a little scary. But then at the same time, you're like, thank God we have counseling for this many people, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that, that that's, that's where, you know, that's where I'm at now is chaplaincy is great. And there's a place for it in the fire service. I believe in that wholeheartedly. That's why it's part of my program. Peer support is great. I think 90, probably 90, 95% of our problems as firefighters can be solved by peer support. And then you have to worry about the other 5% that, that, that aren't solved by that. And then that comes in with the formal counseling. You get the formal counselor on board. Uh, you get somebody who knows uh, who they're dealing with and has gained their trust. And that was the most important thing to me was to get a counselor in there that knows what they're doing. 100%. Yeah. I got <clears throat> something to add to that, you know, and just to, you just said about the other 5%. Um, so, a little bit of a personal uh, note on that, just because I'm hearing you and you're, you're touching on so many, so many levels that are even personal to, to me. Uh, I'm going on, uh, I'm going on a year. Uh, I just did the math a year, three months and 20 days over 21 days. Congrats, over. man. That's awesome. Uh, it's, yeah. It's, I feel great. I'm the, the best I've ever felt in my life has been in the last, uh, you know, year and a half or so. And it's, it's a, it's a beautiful feeling. Um, but you know, and and my department, for example, you know, like we we have chaplaincy. It's uh, uh, one of the better chaplains I've ever met, uh, Chaplain Dolan Canada. He uh, literally was just down in in, in Surfside, Miami. He, he deployed down with with Task Force Eight just to go down there and, and pray over the men. Uh, guys, the guys, phenomenal. Um, sure. My department uh, also, um, and I'm not to not to name drop. I just I love I love what these guys have done. But you know, uh, Chief uh, Drew Rogers here with the um, uh, with the MCFR Wellness Center, we have a wellness center. We legitimately have a a, a, a gym that is dedicated to 
to to Marion County and 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 getting and getting people uh, physically and mentally in shape. Um, you know, uh, Battalion Chief Chad Belger with uh, his Recovery RX. You know, he's he he he's also gone through some uh, personal issues with him himself, and he's he's on the other side of getting better now. And and he does uh, you know Recovery RX workouts. You know, he does he wants to he wants to 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 get people better through physical fitness and stuff like that. So we're, we're, we're huge on that over here. Um, yeah. I myself, I myself, and am, am I, I'm in that journey right now in which uh, physical fitness uh, has absolutely uh, led me to the other side of what was at one point sick, you know, um, and uh, I, the mental aspect of it, uh, a lot of people don't realize that physical fitness and 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 having that that wellness center and 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 having that peer support in which we do have one here also in in, in Marion County and have the chaplaincy and and having people to connect with, um, it, it does help out one hundred percent. But I also want to talk on that five percent that you were talking about. The five percent, to me, and, and I like this is this is this is a question. This is an opinion and also a question. I like to bounce it off of you, off of you three. Doesn't matter how much peer support you have, and I'm talking to everybody out there right now. Does not matter how much peer support you have. Does not matter how who is who is your chaplain. Does not matter how much you know. Like you, you have people to say, "Call me," and you call them. You have to, at some point or another, uh, change change your daily activities for you to change the outcome you know and the cliche saying what's the what's the definition of insanity you know like doing the same thing over and over again it's like if your daily activity and i'm literally you know throwing stuff out there but if your daily activity involves waking up at a certain time every day uh eating the same food every day watching the same tv every day watching the same uh, hearing the same music every day and literally and you are in in a state of depression you're in a state in, in a state where you're not healthy and you keep on doing the same thing every day, does not matter who you have as a peer support, does not matter who you have as a chaplaincy, does not matter who you have to, to, to give a phone call to, you need to change something of that routine to change your mental uh, well-being for the upcoming days. And then one one little trickle will go into another trickle, another trickle, and then, and then you start tapping into the resources of, of uh, you know, make physical fitness or, or you know, uh, picking up a hobby, fishing, whatever, whatever the hell it is, uh, you know, talking to your chaplain, talking to the peer, peer support, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, you know, and, and all of those together will hopefully lead to, lead to a change. But if you, that 5% that you were talking about, if you don't, if you do not change something, it's going, it doesn't matter who you have, what you have in your, in, in your pocket, it's still going to be a downward spiral. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah that's 100 percent correct. There's there's people in our department that we, we haven't been able to help. And they're their issues. A lot of times, like we said, it's those compound issues off duty. You know, it's not we're finding out that it's not the, you know, 3 a.m. call with a with a dead baby anymore. You know, I mean, yes, that sucks and that weighs on you. And that, and that is an issue. But what we're finding is it's, you know, the marital problems at home. It's the bankruptcy. It's you know, not getting that promotion. It's those are the issues. Those are the compound stressors that, that make that happen. And unfortunately, like Pablo said, um, sometimes it does not matter what resources you have and you do lose good people sometimes to that. Um, and, and that takes a strong department to be able to go through that and deal with that. But it's true. 
That's exactly right. Yeah, and and Jay, you know, like you were saying earlier, you know, we you lost a good friend who quit the fire service. You know, a good friend of mine, and you knew him a lot longer than me. You went to fire school with him, worked at Target together with him. So you know, I mean, y'all 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 went way deep. And man, if you would just take a minute and let's go through March twenty seventh and tell us about that day and how it was going down. I know that you and I were scheduled to play basketball that evening mm-hmm. uh, over there in Creek. And just kind of bring us through that, man. And then from there, we can lead into how it changed the culture and, and how it changes training and, and just kind of start opening up a little bit. Yeah. So um, the day started out, you know, obviously normal. We uh, we uh, get off around 6 p.m. Uh, I was working duty crew, part time job um, at Cypress Creek at the time. I was full time in Pearland. And um, it was about 554, I think. It was about six minutes before shift change. And so we, uh, we started packing our stuff up and then call dropped. It was for a mutual aid fire down the street with one of our neighboring departments. And, you know, probably 50% of the time it's disregard and 25% of the time it's something you hang around for. And another 25, it's actually something legit. So um, I liked my chances. So got on the truck and I was riding the seat that day. Um, I had, I think 20, 20 something years of experience in the back seat with me. Um, and all combined, we were around 50 something years of experience on the truck. So, I mean, I was not worried about anything that I was going to face that day at all, maybe ignorantly, but at that time in my career, I was not worried about anything, uh, that we were going to face. I had all the experience that I could ask for. So, uh, we started heading out, started going down the road. I see a big header, um, relay to the guys that we do actually have a burner. So we show up on scene. It's a, uh, it's a two-story apartment or a three-story apartment apartment complex. Um, and the building that we were working in was an actual two-story. So if, if you kind of set it up, it's two-story and then three in the middle and then two on the side again. So it kind of builds up in the middle. Um, so we arrived on scene and from the jump, we were having some communication issues. Um, we were on engine 24. Our placards, because we were duty crew, had a 26 on them. And then the incident commander thought we had said engine 25 when we arrived on location. So you can tell from that standpoint, we were already kind of behind the eight ball. I didn't think anything of it though. No big deal. Um, So he said, Hey, uh, stretch a uh, apartment lay uh, two and a half to the back, extend an inch three quarter off of that. I need you to meet. um, I I think it was engine 10 in the attic. Uh, They're, they're putting a knockdown on the attic. And I said, okay, cool. Good to go. We had visible fire through the roof. It had already self vented. Uh, no big deal. So we start working our way to the rear of the structure. We're on the Charlie side. Um, I meet up with the Charlie side uh, division chief and I tell him what our assignment was just to recap. So he knows where we're at. Uh, we start laying off of that uh, two and a half with our inch and three quarter. Um, we start shucking hose. So the, uh, the nozzle man, actually he was a captain in the city of Houston at the time. He takes the nozzle and he starts flaking it up, going up to the third floor. Um, he gets up to the third floor. He needs some slack. The, inevitably, the, the hose line charges before we get to the top. So now it's it's a bitch to get up there. So now we're trying to hump this hose up three flights of stairs, and it's me and my best friend. Um, and we're on the first landing. So we're on the second story. Um, and there's two apartments that go this way. So landing and then two apartments. And I looked at him. And he had said something to me like, hey, I need a little bit more hose. And when he said that, something fell down and it was the plywood sheeting underneath the landing above us. And that hit him. 
And so I took him and we kind of pulled together and I went like this. I don't know instinctively or what, but I pulled him this way and we turned and I was going to go back down the stairs backwards and he was facing me and um, he went ahead and uh, man, I can't remember what he said to save my life, but the second story landing and the stairs came down on both of us. So the landing probably about close to a thousand pounds of concrete came down on him. And then a whole concrete and steel stairwell came down on me. Um, I was lucky enough. I was laying flat on the first, um, on the first level stairs. And uh, he was not so lucky. It kind of caught him in a pretzel like, and he's, he's about chief Johnson size. So <laughs> chief Johnson can't do a pretzel very well. I don't think, uh, but uh, he, he's about chief Johnson size. So he got caught up and he was scrunched like this underneath this platform. And I was on the stairwell right below him. And, uh, you know, I was talking to him the whole time. I was trying to communicate with him. There's a couple of times where he had lost consciousness. Um, his legs were burning because I guess he sat on some embers. Um, and, and so his legs were burning pretty good. Um, my radio got ripped out. Couldn't radio for a mayday. I didn't even know if a mayday had been called yet or not. And uh, I was kind of trapped with my right arm underneath me and my left arm was up, outreached. So I was trying to scrape underneath my buddy's leg the best I could to try to get some of the embers out and trying to call his name. And every now and then he'd come to and there was a lot of stuff going on um, being said at that time that um, I'm not really going to go into right now. But um, it was scary. Um, thought he was going to die. I thought he was dead for sure. Um, didn't know if I was or not. Um, laid there for a minute. We had three Maydays go out. The division chief called a Mayday, and then the engine crew that we were working with from our neighboring department called two Maydays as well. Um, again, I didn't know that a Mayday had been called or not because I didn't hear anything. Um, but luckily enough, um, our nozzleman, his helmet and mask got ripped off. He rode down the collapse on the third floor. He held onto the nozzle. He kept the nozzle the whole time. And he was able to turn around and kind of keep us uh, cooled off a little bit because a lot of the embers and a lot of the, the whole apartment structure ripped from the sides of the building and came down. So um, needless to say about, I don't know, five minutes being in there it seemed like a damn lifetime. Um, the, uh, the crews came to the backside, uh, started digging through some of the crap and um, turned the stairwell over eventually and uh, lifted me up. And that's when I figured out that I had tore pretty much every ligament in my knee and uh, did a little barrel roll down the stairs. And then they carried me to the ambulance. And uh, that was pretty much it, man. <laughs> so it was intense for a little bit there. Yeah, it's definitely not just pretty much it, man. That's that's a that's a catastrophic event. I mean, it's <clears throat> it's something that I think in, no fireman ever wants to experience. And, you know, I think every fireman there that day is just grateful that that uh, you and your buddy were were spared and, and able to move on and live on. And, you know, uh, our buddy has a beautiful family back home with a lot of kids mm -hmm. and, and is living a good life. And you've been able to come, you know, to where you are today and succeed. And, and so with all the bad things, when you struggle through the good things happen, you know, that's right. So I think it's really good, man. It, <clears throat> you know, and for me, it was creepy, man. I mean, you know, I know I told you this and, and we've talked about it several times, but watching that fire on the news, and hearing there was a mayday and knowing that you were working and, and all I did was call you and call you and call you and you didn't answer. I told, I told my wife, I told Lauren, I said, Cortell's he's got to be the one that's hurt. 
And uh, I said, because Jay always has his phone. Like, even now, Jay always has his phone. So <laughs> I said, I know, like, if he could answer it, he would. And uh, and then when I got the call from your dad, man, I mean, that just that that brought me down to my knees, man. I mean, it was uh, it was something that I'll never forget. And that's why that's why I always make sure that you always remember, man. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad that God chose you that day on March 27th. So um, I'm just grateful, man. Very thankful. I appreciate uh, that, brother. But, you know, from here, I mean, so how does this you know, you you go through that. Right. And you recover. And so how does that go to changing the culture of the side Creek fire department. How does that go to changing the culture that you bring inside the firehouse, not only from like a training aspect and, and how do we, how do we try to see these signs or symptoms or how do we pre-plan these buildings and, and recognize these style staircases versus the cultural side of things of, Hey, I went through this and I survived and I'm, I'm standing tall today and it's okay to, to, to reach out for help and, and admit that you might need to talk to somebody. Yeah, so on the actual like training operational side of things, the things that we did um, post incident, um, our leadership uh, command staff went back to the same apartment building. Uh, they were looking at other stairwells and realized that the um, steel had been rusted through um, on, I think they said 30 something percent of the buildings. Um, and so they took a bunch of pictures and, uh, they reported it to Harris County fire marshal's office. Um, and it basically kicked off a campaign for a lot of Northwest departments to look at the integrity of stairwells within their, um, apartment buildings. Um, and <clears throat> generally that's somewhat of a safe haven. You know, if, if you open an apartment complex door or apartment unit door and you know, it's blowing and going. You should be able to shut that door, regroup on that stairwell and get ready and get back in that fight. Um, when you don't have that avenue as a firefighter, um, it, it really um, handcuffs you. So making sure that we have safe areas that we can regroup and reconvene when we need to do our job is a big deal. Um, I believe they also found several stairwells um, that had been complained on by residents as well. Um, just walking up with groceries, the stairs would bounce because they're completely disconnected at the base. And the only thing that's holding them on is the top bolts that hold onto these stairwells. So um, it's, it, it was pretty crazy and eye opening to see. I know um, it kicked uh, off a, a, another campaign in Pearland too. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the fire marshals went out um, and checked the stairwells in, uh, in there. So I would say probably the, the biggest thing and probably the easiest thing that we can do is when we're pre-planning our areas and we go to our, our target hazards or our apartment complexes or wherever we go, always look at the stairwell, you know, uh, don't just take it for granted. Um, you know, that's one thing that, that, that I did. And now obviously um, I can't go to a stairwell and not look at it and be like, all right, that thing looks good. We're good. You know? Right. And uh, of course, I lived in an apartment right after the injury and I lived on the first floor. So I had to walk past a, a staircase every every night I'd come home. So that was always, uh, always fun to deal with. But um, as far as as far as that goes, um, I, I would say that's the easiest thing is to, to, to look at the stairwells and look at the look at the safe havens um, that are sometimes taken for granted when you're doing out doing your pre plans and, and, and taps and all that. Um, culturally, though. I think, I think that the biggest thing that changed in me was the, I realized how much I loved this job. I knew it when I got out of the Marine Corps and I came right back to the job, but there wasn't really anyone in my corner 
when I came back from my job that was a firefighter. Um, I got back into it and and I picked up like, like, you know, no one's business and it was good. Met up with old friends, so on and so forth. But when I got injured, um, I had the Pearland Union um, on board with me. I had Pearland firefighters, command staff calling me. I had my brothers from Cypress Creek. I had a meal train going. I had um, my buddies, my buddies' wives. I mean, everyone was bringing me food. And it just made me realize that when you go down with an ACL and you're an accountant, you know what I'm saying? Like people yeah. don't care about you. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, but when you go down and you're, and you're a brother, um, that's it, man. Like people are going to take care of you. And it made me, it almost made me feel bad because I wanted to get back and I wanted to start giving to people. Um, the guys that covered my shifts for me with, with no paybacks, they're like, Hey man, don't worry about it. We got you, you know, stuff like that where I wouldn't have to take sick time. Um, just beautiful beautiful uh the way it all played out and so it's somewhat of a of a me giving back to be able to do this for the fire service sure sure man i got a question there if you don't mind walk me through from you uh how it might have changed if 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 any uh the training division in your department as far as like you said you so you little things right so you said you lost your radio on the way down correct yeah. So I'm, I'm wondering, uh, has anything changed in the department as far as like uh, from your uh, I, I, I think that the best guys that ever teach anything have literally teach it from personal experience. You know, that is that is right. you cannot you cannot uh, replicate that, uh, duplicate that. You know, so my question is, uh, do you talk about now how to wear a radio? Do you uh, do you talk about uh, how walk me through the the. When you're under the underneath that pile, pardon that word, right? You know, considering what's going on. But when you're underneath that that collapse right there, um, do you do you are you cognizant of what's going on? Uh, are you able to call your mate? If you had a radio, are you able to call your mate? Do you realize what's going on? Do you do you do you know how? Uh, can you reach your tools? Is the, are you changing your tools now because you can't reach them? You know, et cetera, et cetera. So can you walk me through through uh, any of that stuff? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the way that I would describe how it felt was if, if, when growing up, if you were ever held down by your dad and like tickled or kind of tortured or whatever, that's what it felt like on the stairwell. Like I could not move it. Um, and so the way I was stuck, I was just stuck. Um, and the way I wear my radio now is different than, where, than how I wore my radio before. Um, if I'm in my gear, I usually have my cord wrapped around my radio it's down in here. So I have very little actual things to get caught. Um, I used to wear it here and then the cord would go over here and I'd clip it right here to my lapel. Now it's actually all in one pocket and it sits right here and the cord is completely stuffed in between there. If that makes any sense. Um, that way there's less cord that's sticking out to get wrapped up in something and get ripped out because that's what they think happened. Um, they know I had my radio on me um, because I was talking on it. Um, and then when they found me, I did not have it and it was never recovered. So they don't know what happened to it, where it went, nothing. So it's just kind of one of those things. It was, it was weird. Um, as far as the tools, um, it didn't matter what, I, I hate to say this, but it didn't matter what tool I would have had on me at that time because the way I was pinned, um, I legit had all the way to the stairs and myself underneath this with this arm. And I just had this arm that was free but I couldn't have gone down to my legs or to my waist or anything. The only thing I could have gone is gone up. 
So I couldn't have reached anything no matter how I had my tools. And at that point in time, I don't think any tool that I would have been able to carry as a personal tool would have gotten me out of that situation. Um, what was the other question you had? Oh, was I cognizant? What, what was going yeah, on? Yeah, as far um, as like, were you able to, if let's just say for argument's sake, you would have had your radio on you. Were you sure. able to call your own mayday or you were just, or were you out of it? Yeah, I would have been able to call my own mayday. Uh, it, it was a little dicey there at first. Uh, when, when they say like you revert back to your training, you, uh, you know BS, revert back to your training. I mean, training day one in the academy. Um, the way I was laying, I was laying on my SCBA hose. And I was trying to look up because that's where my buddy was. So as I was trying to look up, the hose is stuck. So the mask is coming off my face. I'm losing my seal and the air is shooting out everywhere. And so I'm panicking, right, for probably the first 10 seconds or so. <clears throat> because one, I, I don't know where my buddy is. He's not talking to me. Two, uh, I have a hose underneath me and I can't lift up to free the hose out so I can move my head around. Uh, the stairs are on the back part of my helmet on the brim. And so I can't move my head up very well, but I can just move my face up to break the seal. So I was trying to reach for my radio. I had this hand underneath me. I was trying to reach for my radio and I couldn't feel anything. And then, so then a little panic set in. And so then I started trying to scream for my buddy to call a mayday. He wasn't responding. Right. <clears throat> and so I just laid there and kind of realized, Hey, I'm stuck. I don't know how long I'm going to be stuck because I don't know what's on top of me at this point, right? I just know that there was a – I thought the whole building came in on me and not just the stairwell area and the walls. So I sat there and uh, I reverted back to my day one training and, and I relaxed my breathing. I realized that I'm going to need to conserve some air if I'm going to, you know, make, make it out of this thing. I mean, granted, I was outside technically because I was in a stairwell. But nonetheless, I don't know what else is going to come down on top of me or how extensive this, you know, this recovery is going to be. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of panic in probably the first 10, 15 seconds or so because you're trying to figure out what the hell just happened. But after that, when they say you revert back to your training, I, I don't know if I'm speaking for uh, uh, most, but for me, um, it's 100 percent correct. And, and having the impact that I'm able to have at the fire Academy when I'm teaching these guys SCBA and skip breathing and relaxing their breathing and not to panic and being able to tell them, Hey, this is a real life thing that you, that you will use eventually. I hope not, but you'll, you'll have the skill. Right. So um, I was definitely aware of what was going on. That's awesome. No, that's, that's great to hear. Um, I, I, something I took from that real quick is the fact that you were able to reach at least you were able to reach this area right here, which yeah. goes back to, um, uh, you know, one of the hosts on the show, you know, Robbie, wow. you know, Rob, Rob always preaches the fact that, you know, he has his life safety stuff. Anything that is, that is, that is life safety for him, uh, you know, with his, with his data driven knowledge, uh, experience driven knowledge, data driven knowledge that a lot of the stuff is, is, is here on the left-hand side where he can right. reach it. Radio, and, you know, a pair of cutters in case he, in sure. case he, he has to cut his way out of something. Obviously, I know in that situation you weren't going to be able to cut yourself out. But the fact that you just said right there that that you couldn't reach your your, your pockets, um, but you could reach this little general area right here, uh, to me, you know, just drives in that fact of, uh, of what Robbie teaches. That's right, brother. Yeah. Yeah. I think he believes it. I think he, I believe he calls it the high action area, right? Absolutely. Yeah, because he keeps his cutters in his pocket with a golf ball, and he has Absolutely. his radio, and yeah. and everything is right here from your from your nose down to your chest. Yeah. No, it's yep. great, great to hear. Good information on that. 
That's true. So Jason, how do you, so you go through that and you have all these lessons learned and you're here tonight, you know, preaching about them. So how do you go back as a chief? How do you go back to, to side Creek and you say, listen, guys, like we're going to do this training today and here's why we're going to do it because this is what, um, this is what I went through. And how do you start instilling that culture of understanding that, um, that day you had quote unquote, the perfect day with all the experience you needed. Uh, you got to work out, uh, back then you're eating bags of sweet peppers, right? So you got to eat your peppers and you got to do, you got <laughs> to do all things, brother. Time <laughs> <to change. laughs> you got to do everything that you wanted to do. And then this happened. So how do you, how do you instill that culture on your shift there in Pearland or, uh, in Pearland side Creek, but more importantly throughout the uh, fire department? Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, from the start, I always felt like I had somewhat of a story to tell. I felt like mm -hmm. I was in debt to the fire service for everything that it did for me, but it only got more powerful as I started my recovery. Um, and as I felt more and more of the brotherhood push in on me in, in the most positive way possible, I felt like, man, the least I can do is give a lesson back to these people. And the best thing that I found out was that people wanted to hear it. Um, so, I mean, just kudos to the fire service in general for, for people being able to, um, you know, pick my mind respectively, you know, understanding that, Hey, things take time. And there's times I do want to talk about it and times I do, don't want to talk about it. Um, those times start shifting more and more as time moves on, you get more comfortable talking about it. But I was on a uh, chief Gasaway's um, uh, situational awareness podcast. I was his 55th episode, I think. And I mean, that was a week after my surgery. And I, I, we just got on and we got straight into it. And I mean, that, that stems back from, I think, um, man, the ambulance, when I was talking to my buddy, you know, I told him, I was like, man, like we just survived some, some real shit, dude. I was like, we, we can use this, you know, we can use this and we can make sure that nobody else has to go through this. And if they do, they, they, they know what to do or they have the tools to do so. Um, and so, you know, you ask, how did I do it? I think just diving into it and just understanding that I'm accepting of the fact that something bad happened despite all the best efforts and all the, all the good things and things that went right. I'm telling you right now, man, we had the best, um, the best apartment lay stretch we could, we could have had. We had the best um, host stretch we had besides the line getting charged a little early we had the experience. We had ladders in place. We had crews in the places that they needed to be, um, all kinds of stuff, you know. And I mean, even after the incident, people are like, well, would you would you have sent somebody into that building? And I said, hell, yeah, I would have. I said it was it was good. I said, how often do you hear about an apartment stairwell collapsing on firefighters? I said it was a freak accident. It sucked. And it didn't matter what we did right, or what we did wrong. <clears throat> but I mean, to answer your question, man, it's just diving in. And just diving in and accepting it and understanding that there is a debt to be paid to the fire service when, when something like that happens. And, you know, I, I considered it my responsibility to be able to give back in that sense. When I talk to my shift about it, when I talk to other people about it, they are eager to learn. They ask questions. They want to know more. Um, and that to me lets me know that they're invested. Right. That's beautiful, man. I love that. The, it's a debt to be paid to the fire service. I mean, that's wonderful. Wonderful. I mean, but like Herb and Pablo, like y'all, y'all teach uh, advanced firefighter survival and NRC. I mean, like, is this type of situations that y'all covering your class or is this stuff that y'all that y'all teach firefighters on different methods on how to get out? Yeah, I mean, uh, not not necessarily maybe the the stair collapse, <clears throat> but we teach them different uh, 
different skills to to assist when when they are pinned. And uh, one of the things that that Rob harps on is he has a tool on his coat pocket on his left side, and then he has a set of cutters on on his right side in his pants pocket. So depending wherever he's pinned, he's going to be able to capture and get a tool out of there. Um, Chad Small in the in the uh, chat asked. Uh, what was the use of the golf ball? So the reason why we put the golf ball and we attach them on our tools is when you're sitting there and you have your bunker gloves on, you literally have oven mitts on. I, I don't care. You got yep. kangaroo skin, uh, baby four skin, whatever the case, high tech gloves that are out there right now. You still are walking around with oven mitts. Yep. You don't yep. have dexterity whatsoever in your gloves. So attaching a golf ball on, on your tool now I can literally grab that golf ball, pull, and my, my tool is right there. Mm-hmm. So it just gives gives me uh, a place to grab. It, it's it's a quick means of uh, getting my tool that I need. So uh, to answer your question, Chad, that's the reason why we attach a golf ball on our tools. And Jason, do you think that would have been a big help that day if you would have had something up there? Could you have reached it? You think? Yeah, but like I said, I mean. I- I don't think any personal tool at that point would have assisted me in that exact incident. That's not, sure. I'm not saying don't do it. Um, I, having something on me is, is something that's obviously always of importance, but I just think in that incident, it wouldn't have made a difference uh, one way or another, but I do carry tools on me and I do carry tools that have golf balls attached to them. <laughs> there you go. Well, and, and the reality is, I mean, a thousand plus pounds of concrete, man. You're you're, you're not moving that. No. Right. It it doesn't matter what tools you have on. Uh, you're you're not moving that. It, that's an actual operation now to to actually move it. So, uh, thank God you're here, man, and uh, thank you for sharing the story, man. This is uh this has been phenomenal. My my phone's blowing up as it as we speak right now, and people are uh, enjoying it. So, uh, thank you once again. Of course, I appreciate. It. Yeah, man. Yeah, absolutely. Um. Uh, so, so Pablo, what, uh, when, when you guys are doing your, when you guys are doing your search class and stuff like that, what are some of the tools that you guys are, are telling the guys to maybe bring or, or maybe to make them think outside the box as well? Man, that's a great, that's a great question. A uh, uh, phenomenal question. I, 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 I do. Uh, how do I say this in a, in a nice way? I'm very far from a gimmick fireman. I like to, I like to know my stuff. That, that 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 I have on me that that will work. Um, I, I I was once in a classroom setting, and we're you know we're we're doing a we're, we're doing a search drill, and I had someone say, oh well you could uh you could also tie a two to one and you know start dragging right here, you know and I'm like thinking to myself I'm not I'm not gonna be a dick to someone in the middle of a classroom but I'm thinking to myself I'm like, oh you ever been inside a structure fire? Fucking, <laughs> fucking, fucking two to one. Like you get the fuck out of here with that nonsense. So, so you know, I carry very simple tools. Uh, a a a, a prusix. I, I carry two prusix, um, in which I use. You know, just in case I have to wrap around my. I, I carry my own truck belt in case I have to wrap around my aerial. Um, uh, basic webbing. Uh, but the webbing, the webbing doesn't come out. I'm not tying. I'm not tying webbing in the middle of a structure fire. That shit ain't happening. You know, like. The most, the most out of the gimmick that you're going to get me is 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 a is a prosix, um, you know, because that's just a simple girth to turn on some ankles or whatever. We 
we when I mean you know uh, we I mean you know Sean Duffy and myself and 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 the rest of the uh, NRC guys Greg Robbie Irby you know we we teach uh, Dave McCauley you know all these guys we we teach uh, down and dirty drags you know we we teach shit that's gonna yeah, like this is how you know you're gonna find someone uh, in a smoke filled environment how you're gonna how and how you're gonna drag them out um, how you're gonna use body mechanics um, body leverage. To drag someone out, drag someone out. How to use, uh, how to do quick packaging of the air pack. Um, you know, like stuff like that. Like quick, down, dirty. You know, 10, 15 foot drags. Get to a place of, of, of refuge, and then you know, start calling maydays out there. You know, like um, you know. But uh, I'm very, very far from from a gimmick fireman. I like to, I like to to teach physical fitness and understanding your fitness levels. Um, and you know, and I, and I don't, and I don't, and I do not, uh, I do not mince any words. It is what it is. There's different levels of talent to this shit. If you don't think that you, if you're going to think you're going to wake up one day, and, you know, like after years of, of fucking sitting in a recliner and not doing, and not doing a damn thing, you're just going to wake up one day and go save a, a brother fireman or a sister fireman. You're out, you're, you're out of your fucking mind, you know, like, so, right. uh, you know, and then all of a sudden be like, oh, we're, um, I've heard people on, on on aerials talking about like oh uh, my, my go-to for a my go-to for a, a, a down fireman you know like second floor or something like that is going to be a, a you know stokes basket i'm like oh shit you've never trained outside of a conics no yeah. shit <laughs> that's awesome good for, good for you you know like it, you know it's because people don't ever 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 take into consideration the human element of the job you have to take into consideration what happens when you're, I don't care who you are. When you're on your way to the, uh, 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 when you're on your way to a car, your heart rate's already sitting at 110. You could, you could, you could be a fitness model or someone that's overweight. It does not matter. Your your heart rate's going to be 110, and that's without shit getting going wrong. All of a sudden, add some a little bit of heat, a little bit of smoke. Shit goes wrong. Yeah, okay. Let me know how that's going to work out. So, you know, we 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 harp on this um, when we, when we teach, which is just understanding your body, understanding what you could do. Physically, um, understanding how to how to work within that within that gray area, you know, like between that area between red and black, can you extend your your your, your red your your red heart rate into that gray area so you could basically prolong that 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 working heart rate for for a longer period of time. Uh, so to answer the question, I know I went into a, into a long soapbox, but to to answer the question directly, um, I teach and we teach very. Uh, down and dirty like this is what happens in structure fires and this is how we're going to hopefully going to go get someone out yep 100 percent. well and it's uh uh to kind of reiterate off of what you were saying with the gimmick firemen uh we can blame a lot of that on social media as well oh yeah 100 yep. so you you can look at on Facebook, you can look on Instagram. There's a ton of different sites that are teaching you a bunch of gimmick shit. Yeah. Anybody that has a slight bit of knowledge in this game can see that's bullshit. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and that's the reality of it. And, yeah. and I'm not going to mince any words. You, you have to sit there and, and understand that you got to have, you got to make sure that every tool that you're carrying has a function. Yes. Yep. It, it it doesn't need to be some powder coated, super lightweight aluminum fucking great tool that they stamped and put a cool little subdued uh, fire logo on there or whatever the case may be. Make sure whatever tool you're carrying has a function. 
Because if it doesn't have a function, it's fucking pointless. There's no to carry it. And I see that in the younger generation that is coming up, they either are one or two ways. They have all their pockets are packed to the brim full of tools, or they have no fucking tools. Mm -hmm. And and there's no fucking like in between. And then all the tools that they have in their pocket, they can't tell you what they do. Right. Well, I saw it on Facebook, and, and, and the guy in this cool Facebook group told me that this tool is amazing. Okay, but where did this guy come from? Right. Has he fought anything else besides a Connex box fire with pallets yeah. in it? Probably not. Yeah. So understanding what tools you're carrying and why you carry them. And that's the biggest thing. That's the biggest thing I can harp on is why are you carrying it? Right. And, and, and that's the thing. And, and to Chief's point, it didn't matter what tool that Chief had on him that day. No hand tool in the world is going to move all the weight that was on them. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I kind of wanted to touch on that a little bit, Chief. Uh, myself, Pablo, and, and uh, Chief Johnson, we're, we're very fortunate enough to be able to travel around the U.S. and, and teach. Um, I've seen different ways that guys in different uh, parts of the U.S. carry their radios. So you guys carry your radio without a, without a harness, uh, without a radio strap. In, inside your radio pocket? Is, is that culture for you guys? Correct. Okay. And then, so then some departments are wearing their radio outside of their coat. Mm-hmm. And there's a radio strap. Mm-hmm. And like for my department, we, we wear our radio strap underneath our coat. Mm-hmm. So do you, do you feel that maybe if you would have had your radio on a radio strap underneath your coat, do you, do you think maybe it potentially could have stayed on you or, or, or vice versa? Yeah, I think, I think without a doubt, I mean, it could have stayed on me. Um, part of the issue with some of that is the, um, the ability to get out and the, where the antenna placement is and so on and so forth. And you go into all kinds of different studies on that too. And I'm sure that there's data and, and you guys have looked at that as well, but for our department, uh, that's pretty standard is to wear it on the exterior of your coat. Um, there's no regulation that says you can't have a radio strap, um, but um, for our department, it's it's very frowned upon to put anything over the top of an antenna. So, <clears throat> no, and, 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 go ahead, and, go ahead. No, 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 and and that's just something that uh, out of out of everywhere that I go, that is the one biggest thing that I see. Nobody has a rhyme or reason of why they're wearing it that way, All right? Um, I can tell you for my department, we wear it under our bunker coat. And the reason being is you're keeping per se your lifeline underneath your coat away from the heat, yeah. keeping it close to your body, uh, not, not being hung up, not, not the potential of losing it, anything like that. That's the reason why we carry it that way. But our neighboring department, their whole culture is they wear it outside. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah I think, I, I mean, I agree with you a hundred percent. Had I, that day worn a strap and it been underneath my coat, I would have been able to get to my microphone. Like yeah. it was second nature. I had that hand right here. I was ready. I mean, I could have, I grabbed my hose. I grabbed my regulator hose. That's how I knew I was on it because I was trying to pull it. Um, so I know I could have grabbed the mic had I had it. Hey, also, yeah. and random, random thought on that, by the way, just, just to piggyback on that. Cause I, I wear the same way that, uh, the, uh, Palm beach wears it. I'm assuming, which is underneath. I wear it underneath when I, and I bring out my, my, my left mic right, right underneath. And I, mm-hmm. I clip it on my left, on my left hand side. Yep. Something I've been, been doing for years. Also just a random thought on that. And, uh, 
for everybody listening out there, I, I've got it into for years. I've been doing it now where when I check off my equipment in the morning, when I'm and I'm talking about my SCBA and, and my radio, I literally turn on my radio every, every morning to see how how uh, how the battery's doing, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. I do it with my oven mitts on. There you go. Every morning, every morning, like I, I don't, I don't get, you know, I don't get crazy. It's not like I have, I'm not in full gear doing burpees outside at fucking seven o'clock in the morning. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but check off the the shit that you could bear. That check off the shit that's motor skills with your oven mitts on. Too many people get very, very comfortable in checking off their SCBA and the radio year after year after year with their little fingers. But these little fingers are not going to be fucking exposed during a structure fire. You're going to have oven mitts on. So just get used to it. Just get used to the changing of the channel and stuff like that. It's a very simple thing you can do in the morning. Just throw on your throw on your oven mitt and and just check off your your SCBA and your uh, and your radio. Yeah, hundred percent. You you know, and 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 to like we'll go back a little bit to what you were talking about the first Pablo about how you train and and uh, and being prepared for the moment and everything. It, the way I look at it is like this, like Chief Reinwalt says it all the time, like on the teaching circuit, right? You have to be wait to be invited to the table, right? There's a high table and there's no easy way to get to that high table. You have to grind. You have to be a good person. You have to do what's right all the time to get there. Well, for me in the fire service, right? If you look at if you look at the, the operational side of things, that high table, that invitation is when that citizen or that brother that or that sister needs you the most. When when somebody says I need help is that you're able to perform uh, quickly, efficiently, professionally, and you're and you're able to go in there and be aggressive and put the citizens first and put your brothers and sisters on the line before you and you're able to perform at that high level. And, and the only way that you're going to get that invitation and be able to, to, to meet that invitation and sit at that table is if you perform or, or train every day inside and out on the on on your tool placement and where you have it on your on your uh, bunker gear and what tools do you carry and do they have a function and do you know their function um down to it you know you were talking the last time we were on here pablo about ladders how you throw ladders every day right and discipline over motivation and and i know without a doubt just from hearing you talk like when you're invited to that high table on an operational fire ground you're going to be able to perform and you're going to give it an all-out effort and uh and that's what we have to to remind ourselves of is that as fun as this job is and as great as it is and, and as rewarding it as it is, uh, we still have to prepare for that Super Bowl moment. We have to prepare for that moment where everything that we have within our soul is is given to 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 save the life of somebody else, whether it be a citizen, a brother or a sister, you know, because it's what I tell uh, Cortell. I think you were there that last last year at Fire Academy. I tell the cadets like. You have to learn to push yourself to exhaustion in every aspect of the job, from studying for promotion to working out to your training. Because at the end of the day, when you are trapped in that rubble and your pass alarm is going off and your face mask is sucking to your face, I want to know that you're pushing yourself to exhaustion to get out. But not only that, I want you to know in the back of your mind that you have crews coming and pushing themselves to exhaustion to come get you. And you have to be prepared for that. 100%. And I, man, I, you know, I, I, God forbid, I don't know if, I don't know how I'm going to react in a collapse. Look, I'm going to be the first one to tell you. I've never, I've never been in a situation like that. So this is, but this is what I'm going to tell you though. This is something that I, that I talk a lot with, with, with her, with, with, with Robbie, with Greg. And, and, and I've said it a, a couple of times, you could train your mind 
to legitimately think you're going to a fire or you're doing something shitty every single day. Um, so, like, if you have, for example, if you have a cascade at, at, at your firehouse, if you have a cascade system at your firehouse, and you're not on an SCBA, obviously call pending. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, hey, my name is Pablo General. I'm not stupid. My firehouse runs 20 fucking calls a day. It's, yeah, it is what it is. I get it. But call pending. If you have a cascade at your firehouse and you are at, at when, when allowed, you're not putting that bottle to your face and sucking it down. That mask to your face and sucking it down. You're doing something wrong, man. Like you can legitimately train your mind to be like, I've been here before. I've sucked this down. I understand how much time I have left. I understand exactly what happens when I when 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 the bell goes off and maybe I can relax a little bit. I understand what, what happens when the bell goes off and I keep working because I've been here every day. I've, 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 I do it. I, I do it every other shift at least. You know, like I've been here. I, I I've trained my mind. My my the mind has no idea. The, the ladder, I, you know, we carry alkalites. My, my 24-foot extension weighs 75 pounds. My body has no fucking clue where I'm, whether I'm throwing that motherfucker at 2 p.m. or 2 a.m. My body has no fucking clue whether the building is on fire or the building is not on fire. My right. body just knows that it's throwing a fucking 75-pound ladder. It, it is what it is. You can yep. turn your mind to legitimately think you're going to a fire or you're doing something strenuous every day. So when and if you get, God forbid, to that situation, you could just be like, uh, I've been here. Hold on, I've been here because, like, like the chief said, you fall back to that, to that, to that lower level of training, you know. But if your yeah. lower level of training has been like, hey, I've thrown this fucking ladder, you know, a hundred times in the last, you know, couple of months, then I'm like, oh, hold on, it's just one more ladder throw. Literally, yeah. that's what it becomes. One that's more it. ladder throw. That's you know, same thing with 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 the stress inoculation, you know. And I know Basil's on right now, stress inoculation, brother. I know, I know it's huge on uh, with you. Like, right, you know, it's it, one more time that you're just sucking your mask down. That's all it is. Understanding yep. how much your, your your body and your mind could could, could handle. Yeah, hundred percent. Right. Well, and it, and it comes down to attention to detail, right? And and knowing each aspect of each tool that you have and and what you're training on. You know, like Corthell. I mean, uh, you know, what did what did we do when you when you were driving me back in the day? How did how did I get y'all to pay attention to detail on that pumper? <clears throat> you had to uh, count the grease ports underneath on the axle. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> right. I wanted to, I wanted to know how many grease ports were on that bumper. Right. But not only that, like when we were training, when we would train lemons or when we were training Callan, it was, Hey, I want you to sit here in this driver's seat and I want you to go through this, this VMUX screen. And I want you to learn everything about this truck. Everything. I want, I want you to know the, the engine uh, dimensions and, and, and the horsepower. And I want you to know everything about it because if you're paying that much, if we're training you to pay that attention to detail, that much attention to detail, then I know that, when you pull a 24 foot extension ladder that you're going to automatically think six rungs back is the midpoint that you're all that you're automatically going to think back that on 28 seven rungs is the midpoint you're going to know where to shoulder that ladder so you can quickly and efficiently throw that ladder right yeah. and you're going to know what what tool is needed where right and you're going to know that how to properly use the halligan on a four century and how to remove burglar bars and whatnot look uh lemons just commented 23 grease ports on engine five so see he still <laughs> remembers and that's from that's from 2011 so you know, it's it's when you pay that when you pay that much attention to detail, man, you're able to perform at a higher level. Yeah. Hey, uh, hey, chief, I got a question real quick for you. Um, after you came back and and you got back with uh, rehab and you got back on the line, mm -hmm. did anything change for for you per se as a firefighter, fire officer? Did anything change emotionally, mentally? Did 
did the way that you go to the firehouse where were you scared at all anything along those lines um because i myself have not been in a collapse Pablo has not been so <clears throat> was there anything that that you saw or maybe experienced that was different than prior to that day man i was excited uh as crazy as it sounds i was so ready to get back into the firehouse and so ready to get back to the guys um it was just brutal to be out i'm not gonna lie it was nice for like a couple weeks to chill and like still get paid and still get paid from both jobs um but it you you just miss it man it's the weirdest thing um and and it's hard to explain again i'll go back to an attorney you know when an attorney gets five months off of work they're not like damn like i cannot wait to go back um for me it was like that 100 percent um one thing that that I've that's helped me, obviously, the Marine Corps instilled a great amount of discipline within me um, and not a lot of excuse making. Um, I've been through the ringer uh, with the collapse, just kind of added another notch in the belt. I don't use it as bravado, but I do take it as uh, I use it as a sense of, um, you know, I've I've been there, you know, and so when these you know, cadets um, are, are so impressionable and I have the ability to talk to them. And this is why we do this. And this is how we do this. Um, and I'm able to do it from experience. Um, it warms my heart. And, and I was going to say um, before um, we, we moved on a little bit, um, you know, I almost look at the collapse as, as somewhat of a, I don't want to say a blessing, but it, it's, it, it kind of was, you know, um, in the sense that I got to take this experience and not a lot of people got to, and I got to do what I said I was always going to do for a brother or sister firefighter. And that is stay with them until we both get pulled out and not a lot of people get to do that. They say it and it's great to say, but the fact and the opportunity that I did. So what I took away from it, of course, was a little bit of more discipline that was instilled in me. Like, I don't give a fuck what your excuses. Like, you're not stuck underneath a damn concrete slab. Get your ass up. Let's go. We're moving, you know? And that happens almost daily when I'm teaching at the academy. Um, but also just more of a passion for the fire service. It made me love the fire service so much more than what I already thought that I could. Now, did, <clears throat> it, uh, did it change any way that, that you were training or certain things that you maybe implemented in, in your training uh, program? No, I mean, at, at that point in time, um, I was I was a driver in Pearland and I was um, a lieutenant on the duty crew part-time at Cypress Creek. So I didn't have so much of an effect um, except for uh, what we talked about um, as far as what we did after the incident with the command staff going to the apartment complexes and the pre-incident plans. Um, but I did have a lot of opportunities to be able to present. And that's what I thought was probably the most impactful thing was to share exactly what happened in, in great detail. Um, so people could kind of take away from it and be like, Oh, okay. Yeah. He said that he reverted back to his training. So maybe this training session, I should listen to the entire hour and not go to the bathroom for 15 minutes and fall asleep for the other 45, you know? So I'm, I'm hoping that just, by doing that, uh, there's a little bit more Im impactful thing. But I mean, <clears throat> I'll say this, um, had the collapse not been as um, catastrophic or heavy as it was, 
And I was able to manage to either a make it to my buddy or B self extricate um, or, you know, find some other goal besides someone having to come rescue my big ass. Um, I, I, I would have taken away so much more and been able to relay so much more information. Like, look, this happened and this is how I got out of it. But the fact of the matter is, is I didn't. And so what I would say is this, the best training you can do is to pre-plan and look at the damn stairwells as, as minuscule as it sounds. Um, it's something that I do, you know, and, and I do it now because I experienced it. Now I'm not saying, you know, when you show up at three in the morning and you have a ripping house fire or a ripping apartment fire that you sit there and expect inspect each stairwell before you climb them, that's not feasible. Right. But also, um, you know, when you're sitting there and you're playing Xbox for three hours and you could have gone out there and looked at that apartment complex that's in your that's in your uh, in your territory. And, you know, it was probably built in the 60s or 70s. And some of the construction might be deteriorating. And instead of going out there and just wondering, hey, I wonder if that building is going to hold up when it catches on fire and looking at it. Um, that That's something that I would say um, should be implemented in training for sure. Yeah, because if I remember right, you told me that stairwell was only held by six bolts, right? Three up top, three at the bottom? Correct. Yeah, so, and it was like 14 steps of concrete, right, all the way up? Correct. So, I mean, it, when, when you look at that and you're thinking about what those bolts have been drilled into and then the way wood swells and shrinks and ages and and uh, it's a huge, it's a huge, uh, I guess you could call it um, uh hole in our training and, and in pre-planning because it's something that until until you went through what you went through with your event i never even looked at it as a lieutenant because you're right it's it's our safe haven we know that if that apartment's ripping when you shut that door we can gather and regroup and then go in and make the push but you never think uh about your safe haven failing you and that's i right. think that's i think that's a huge takeaway for tonight for everybody listening is that even plan for your safe havens to fail Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's my my fire chief even said he said hey, you can do everything right and something in this business can still go catastrophically wrong. Yeah. yeah. Um. Damn right. Yeah. I had a a good uh, a good officer of mine, uh, uh, Scott Ramage. Uh, he works for Marion County, and I tried. We tried to trench a roof a handful of years back, and um, we just couldn't. It, it is what it is. We couldn't. And I remember him saying a, a phrase that stick that stuck with me to this day. He's like, "Oh, no, there's some roofs that are not meant to be cut. There's some fires that are just you're not going to push into." <laughs> right? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so yeah, you're right. So true. You know, so such a simple concept. So true. Yeah. So I mean, like Jason, from here, right? I mean, you go through this, and 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 everything's going good for you, and. You, you're here now, right? 2021, we're several years later. I mean, huge success and a beautiful family back home. And and how do you take all of this, everything that we've talked about, right? We've been on, we've been on the air for an hour and a half. So how do you take all of this and how do you turn that into a leadership style for your fire department? How do you, how do you go to your shift every day and be the leader that you want to be based off the events that you have, that you've gone through in, in your career, especially this one? Yeah. So, I mean, just stay, staying involved in the fire service and not, not giving up on it. Um, even though that, you know, you got smashed by a staircase, um, understanding that, um, with a traumatic event like that, um, I listened to, uh, Dr. David Griffin, uh, who's with Charleston and, uh, I got to, I've actually had the privilege of listening to him like three times. Um, but the latest, um, the latest, um, conference I went to, 
you spoke about post-traumatic growth. Um, yep. and, and as there is with post-traumatic stress syndrome, there's also post-traumatic growth. And I think that's something that I took away from it. And I brought it back to um, my partner who's helped me develop the, the wellness and fitness initiative, Liz. And uh, I, I spoke with her and I said, I want to do something with this. I want to do something with post-traumatic growth. And I wanted to basically expand on whatever, you know, Dr. Griffin already did. And I'm like, I can't because it was done really well. So I'm just going to show it. I'm going to put myself into a program. I'm going to develop a program that can affect other people instead of talking about and just recapping what Griffin said. I'm going to go back and I'm going to I'm going to build a program for this department. And so that's what I did. I went back. Like I said in the beginning uh, of this episode, I, I went back and I literally built this program from the ground up and it would be nothing without my command staff. My fire chief has told me since day one, it's yours. Take the reins, go with it. Anything that I tell him, Hey, we got to do this, this, and this. Okay, cool. Go with it. You got it. Okay, cool. And and that's all it is. And and he trusts me a hundred percent with this program. And that was, that wasn't born overnight. I mean, that took time because he, he does hold the department to a very high standard. Mm -hmm. um, he's a great man in general, but he holds, he holds the department to a high standard. And so for him to give me the reins to essentially taking care of this baby of his um, in the, in the most vulnerable sense possible um, was really a, a privilege. It still is um, to be able to develop these programs. So that's, that's where I took everything uh, from this day. I mean, I started studying a lot about mental wellness and mental health and, and, and how it affects first responders and, and, um, PTSD and depression, anxiety, all those, all that crap that we all go through. Um, and in that, I found that I experienced it, that I had it. I mean, I was a, a ball of anxious nastiness, you know, mm -hmm. and um, I went to the doctor, I got fixed up, I got put on some good meds and, and I'm, I'm balanced out now. I feel good. I got back in the gym um, to Pablo's uh, uh, point. Um, I think mental wellness and, and, and uh, physical fitness is literally hand in hand. Um, and so I didn't even know it before, but I had set the foundation. I took the, the low hanging fruit, right? Let's get some, let's just get some basic workout equipment and just put it in the stations for the guys. Okay. Let's just do that first. Okay. And then let's develop a wellness and fitness initiative. And then let's work on mental health. And it, it all fell into place and, and it wasn't to, to my uh, credit. It, it literally, it just kind of fell that way, um, you know, by the grace of God. So that's where we're at now. So then, so in your fire department, right, you're the highest operational officer, right? Correct. So like as a, so as a district chief, how do you go into the fire station? How do you get that buy-in? Like you've developed all those programs. You've, you've initiated all the stuff within your fire department but it still takes a buy-in from the guys and girls that work under you, right. To be able to make it a success. So how do you, I mean, I know we have a lot of listeners out there right now that are, that are really peer support is starting to become really popular and it's, it's yeah. new, but a lot of people want to know how to do it. So how do you get that buy-in? Uh, what points, tips, tricks do you have uh, to share with everyone? Um, buy-in for, <clears throat> for mental wellness in the fire services is, is actually becoming easier, uh, which is a great thing. Um, I mean, as early as five, maybe even 10 years ago, you couldn't even speak the word sometimes to some people. And now I think people are a little bit more open to it. 
Um, the way that I got buy-in was to approach my company officers. Um, company officers are like um, sergeants in the military. They're the backbone of the fire service. I don't care what you say. Those company officers are the most important people that you have. Yeah, they're um, your golden tickets. They're it. They're it. They can, they can screw you or they can be part of your success. Um, and so uh, they set the tone. You know, if, if the, if the low guy on the totem pole comes in and he's, you know, a formidable person and that captain's like screw mental wellness, it's for, you know, a bunch of little sissies and all this stuff. That's what they're going to believe. And they're not going to pursue that. And so my first goal was to go to the company officers and pose ideas to them and get them involved in the process. Say, Hey, look, this is what I'm thinking about, you know, X, Y, and Z. What do you think? Oh, I think it's bullshit. Well, why do you think it's bullshit? because of this, this, and this. Okay, well, how would you change it? And empower them to be part of the process because then they have ownership over it, right? And they don't want to see something that they've put ownership into fail, right? Right. And it's not a trick. I'm not pulling the wool over their eyes. I'm actually implementing these things that they're suggesting to me because that's what works. I always tell my guys, and this isn't just mental wellness. This is just in general. If you come to me with a problem and a solution, we're going to explore it. We're going to work it together. And if it fails, it, we're going to fail together. And if it's a success, we're going to succeed together. But we're going to do it together, right? And it was the same way with this process. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a little bit more arduous with the implementing of our embedded counselors. That was uh, met with a lot of resistance at first. It was like, who is this crazy lady in here? And why is she so quiet and awkward? Um, <laughs> and they tried to like out awkward her and not talk to her. And I'm like, she already knows what you're thinking. You know, I'm like joking with them, you know, and all this stuff about a counselor. Um, But they, they, they actually um, came around to her and uh, man, they, they love when Michelle stops by, I would say a good majority of the folks do. So um, we, we embedded a counselor uh, within our stations and she does stations around. She goes around to each shift. um, She does every other day. Um, And it's, it's awesome, man. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I mean, like, so, you know, with Herb and Pablo, I mean, like you got a company officer and a tailboard uh, mm-hmm. firefighter. So how do y'all, how do y'all take peer support? Like, what does it mean to y'all or how does your fire department implement it? Um, so uh, in my department, we have peer support groups. Uh, we have the CISM, all, all that stuff. Um, after a bad call, it, it's on all of us. Hey, you, you good? Uh, you need to talk? Uh, don't need to talk everything. All right. Hey, if not, let's go out of service. We're, we're going to handle this. There's help out there. Uh, I can tell you for being in the fire service for right at 18 years now, it's a lot different. Um, it's a lot more acceptable. Uh, you're not looked at as you're a pussy because you want to talk to somebody. Um, I, I do feel that it is important. And you know what? And chief it on it perfectly. It's not necessarily that call at three o'clock in the morning. It, it, it's not all these so-called bad calls that you're running on. A lot of times it's life. Yeah. And yeah. The, the, the fact of the matter is uh, at least the culture within a lot of fire departments is it's easier to to be negative to each other just because that's the way we bust each other's balls. But sometimes, especially in the company officer uh, officer standpoint, um, and I know some of my guys are listening and I'm sure they'll chime in and tell you, like, 
I ask my guys all the time, are you good? And if you don't want to tell me, you don't have to tell me. But understand that, hey, you want to talk? Hey, listen, I'll take this truck out of service right now. We will we'll talk for hours. Mm-hmm. It, because someone else will run the calls. But you're not shit to me if your head's not right. And right. you have to make sure that whatever you're doing is not hindering everything else. And we, we, we all like to say, well, you got to be 100% ready in the fire service, blah, blah, blah. I, I get all that. I agree with all that. But at the end of the day, you're still going to get off shift. You're going to go home. And you might be dealing with a hell of a lot of shit at home. Yep. And you're bringing it back to the firehouse. And guess what? Now, now add those calls onto your issues from home. Yep. yep. So I'm, I'm, I can tell you I've dealt with it. Um, uh, I've talked to Chief Johnson numerous times on the phone. I'm going through stuff right now with, with, with my family. I mean, every, everyone that listens to the podcast knows about my sister. My sister's my best friend. So I can tell you honestly that there, when I first found out, I was hitting the bottle hard. And it took Rob and talking to Chief Johnson and stuff, hey, you're not shit for your family. This isn't the right way. Figure it out. And that's what I did. Mm-hmm. And sometimes guys just need to know, hey, listen, I'm here to listen. Mm-hmm. And especially guys and, 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 and women in the fire service as well. And, and uh, I know it's 2021, so I got to be careful what I say. But it's okay to talk about your feelings. It's mm-hmm. not a bad thing. Yeah. But there, there's a stigma that goes along with it that if, say, Pablo is my officer, and I go and tell him an issue that I, that I have going on, and that's where that trust issue comes in, I'm worried about Pablo going and saying what I just told him to the next guy. Hey, don't say anything, but this is what Herb told me. So I feel once the person gains trust in you, it helps a lot. It, yeah. it really does because, I mean, it it's more life than anything. Um because the the frequency of these calls that that the guys are saying, well, PTSD on this, a lot of times that stuff's coming from your home life. Yep. Right. And it's just snowballing into your work life. Right. So don't be scared to talk about your, talk about what's going on, man. Because I, I can honestly tell you, and, and I'm just telling you from a personal standpoint, when I was able to talk about it, it felt like a weight came off my shoulders. Mm-hmm. Because it, I wasn't carrying all that inside. I was able to express it to to my peers and people that I respected. And the reaction wasn't what I thought it was going to be. I thought they were going to look they were going to look at me and like disgust and be like, hey man, you're you're fucking up right now. But instead it was like, hey, listen, I'm right here with you. Whatever you need, I, I got you. And I feel that people that that stigma within the fire service is we can't talk about our feelings. We're, we're supposed to be these badass firemen. Well, guess what? Even the most badass man cries every now and then. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. So mm-hmm. it, it, you got to understand that it, it's okay to fight those demons. But when you fight those demons, get that support behind you because that's the way you're going to get through it. 
Yep. It, it's uh, for me every day. I ask my guys, "Hey, you guys, you guys, all right? Everything good?" And invest in your crew. And if you're a company officer and you're listening right now, you are doing a disservice to your crew if you do not invest in your crew. That's it. You you need to find out. I want to know their wives, their husbands, boyfriends, whatever it is. Invest in them. Because, like I said before, in, in, in every podcast, I pretty much bring it up. There's a thing called brass poison. I am not there for a fucking rank. I could care less. None of us are doing it for the money. We do it because we have a passion for the job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the passion for the job is I care about my crew. And I care about the guys that I work alongside of. So I need to invest in them. They need to know that at 2 o'clock in the morning, they can count on me to be there for them and vice versa. And I feel once you do that and your crew buys into you believing in them and you being there for them, you're going to see yourself as a company officer grow. And you're going to see that you're going to get so much back from the fire service than you didn't even know was there. So that's my own personal experience. I'll I'll let Pablo go on his end, but uh, that's my own personal experience. Uh, That's hard to follow. That's hard to follow up. I couldn't, I mean, literally I'm shaking my head because I'm like, well, fuck me. It's true. Everything is true. (laughs) You know, know, to me, um, just to piggyback on that, you know, we don't, don't brush anything under the table. You know, like it's okay to be like, you know, like if if you run a if you run a shitty call, like oh, just, it's all right. It's all right to be like oh, that fucking sucked. You know, yeah. like right away, just be like oh, that fucking sucked. You know, and and just kind of shoot the shit about like what just happened. Yeah. Um, you know, and if if you had a shitty ass night, you know, where you ran you know seven eight calls after midnight, you just wake up in the morning and you're like, oh, you know, just you know talk about it. Just be like, well, damn, you know, like sometimes you're the hammer, sometimes you're the nail. And boys, we just got fucking nailed today, you know. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> you know, and, and 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 talk about it, and don't brush shit under the table. Um, and you know, and and, and be there for your guys, and, and and that's it, man. I I it's hard to follow up what you just said because I literally would be, literally would be repeating exactly what you said. Or I, I, I that was that was beautiful, man. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah but, but that's the truth, though, man. It's uh. That that stigma of, of us just being assholes to each other all the time and busting balls, I'm all for busting balls. But there comes a time when, when it's no different than all of us are instructors here on this uh, on this podcast right now. When you're an instructor and you're, and you're lecturing or whatever the case is, you're reading the room. If you see you're losing them, what do you do? You give them a quick break, get them back, get them back in. You need to do the same thing with your crew. Because if you're busting balls, busting balls, busting balls, you can read that body language. Hey, you know what? Hey, I'm sorry, buddy. Hey, everything good? Let's talk about it. And once you start doing that, I promise you, as a company officer, you're going to gain so much more respect from your crew. And they're just going to appreciate because now it's not we're just at work and I'm doing this for him. No. LT is invested in me. He believes in me. He wants me to succeed. Yep. And 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 that goes all the way down to, uh, and, and me and Chief Johnson's had this conversation before. If you're a company officer and you're not training those guys on your truck to take your position, you're doing those guys on your truck a disservice. One hundred percent. 
I want every one of those guys that are on the truck with me to be better than me. That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, want them, I want them to have more bugles than me. I want them to be a better fireman than me. I want them to, to live the all-American fireman dream and do it better than me. That's it. And, and, and that's it. So, uh, Chief, I want to say thank you. Um, uh, uh, Greg Rogers, I apologize. Literally just texted me. That's why I was reading it. Uh, he said, great story. He's actually listening to it right now. Awesome. Rob's been chiming in as well. So uh, we appreciate you coming on, man. It's uh, it, it was truly a blessing and, and an honor to listen to everything that you were saying, man, and sharing your story with us. Cool. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate the platform and the thought. That Chief, was that was very, yeah, that was very informative, man. I took not only a lot from your story, um, from a personal standpoint, but from a from a training standpoint too. That was the, that was that was very good there. A lot of stuff, a lot of nuggets that I'm going to take back. A lot of nuggets that were reaffirmed. That you know, like uh, stuff that we do. Um, sure. And uh, that was that was phenomenal. Thank you. Sure, of course. Yeah, absolutely. It was fun, Jay. I appreciate you, man. I mean, everybody said it tonight. Company officers, right? Your your goal and your job is to make all your firefighters' dreams and aspirations come true before your own. Uh, invest in your crew, invest in their families, make sure they know they have a family as well as uh, back at the firehouse as well as in their house. So uh, thanks for everything, Jay. Man, if you would, man, tell tell people how they can get a hold of you, the the name of your class and, and how, how often you're willing to come and teach it and just kind of close it up for us. Yeah, man. So uh, I, I'm going to be coaching, um, hopefully one-on-one -on -one sessions and also uh, going around speaking to uh, fire departments or command staffs um, kind of about how to set up um, the three tier program that I have with chaplaincy, peer support and um, informal counseling. So uh, if, if that's interest to uh, some of y'all out there, you don't have to be a fire chief to have a session with me. Um, I can talk to you uh, just like anyone else. Um, so my, uh, my email address is uh, J.A. Corthell. It's my last name, J-A-C-O-R-T-H-E-L-L at gmail.com. You can email me anytime. I'm pretty quick on it. I'll get back to you. And then also I'm having a, a website developed right now. It should be up within the next week. It's going to be called ironcladwellness.com. And um, I'll be having my coaching sessions uh, registration on there as well as my speaking um, availability. Fantastic. Fantastic. If anybody out there wants to hit him up, make sure y'all do. It'll be well worth the time. I promise you. Well, uh, Chief, be before we let you go, I got to ask you a serious question. What I feel like it's not going to be serious. <laughs> oh, no, it's going to be serious. What is your thought on clean cabs? Oh, shit. Oh, fuck. Oh, man. That's loaded, man. Clean cabs don't make drive. Drives, Jay. Just say it. Uh, all right, clean clean caps don't make drag. <laughs> all right, I'm in. Hey, you wanna, I got I got a little I got a little nugget for everybody out there. You you want a clean cab? Just clean the cab after the fire. That's right. <laughs> That's, That's right. right. Oh, did I say that? Oh, just fucking clean your gear. Uh, uh, clean, <laughs> clean your SUV. Whatever. Uh, that's it. Oh, there's there's your clean cab. <laughs> well, Chief, hey. Honestly, Chief, we appreciate it very much. Um, we look forward to having you on again, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Yes, of course. Anytime, guys. You guys be good. Thank you, sir. Good to right, see you, Jay. Man, that was good. Yeah. Outstanding, Outstanding man. 
He's he really is one of a kind. I mean, like y'all see, man, he's a gentle giant. He's like the six foot four, and uh, he's just a he's a huge heart man. He's he's a good fireman. He's a good chief, and uh, I just can't I cannot speak uh, better better about about the man himself. What y'all saw is what you will get one hundred percent of the time. Outstanding. That's, yeah, that's awesome. awesome. Well, uh, was, you know, man, not not only that was fun, but I legitimately like the fact that like he's he's reaffirming stuff that that we. That you know what I mean. What I mean, we is because you know, like stuff that I learned from Rob. You know, and I'm like, damn, that's that's pretty cool. Like shit that happened uh, in his own personal uh, mayday experience. That I'm like, damn, fuck, you know, like the stuff that we that we teach through NRC and stuff like that. It's it's uh, it's it's phenomenal, man. It's uh, a lot of nuggets to take home, not only from a personal but from an actual training experience there. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think honestly, for y'all's advanced firefighter class, you could probably get a couple different slides built just off his experience. And, you know, and just say, hey, from like true, true life shit right here. Uh, this is this is what a guy experienced. Yeah, you know? that was to, awesome. To, so yeah, it was it was a good show, fellas. I think I think, uh, man, I, uh, I've been looking at the comments on Facebook. We've got a lot of good comments, especially about the clean cap there at the end. But uh, <laughs> I think yeah. I think I think it was a home run, fellas. Absolutely. Yeah, no. Yeah, thank it was you, definitely thank you. Home run, man. We got people listening from uh, Australia. We got the Dirty Bay Fools. We got uh, Wisconsin, Idaho, Florida, Georgia, Boston, Connecticut. I mean, it, it's a it was a good show, man. And uh, I can't thank you guys enough for filling in for Rob and Greg, man. It was uh, it was awesome. I appreciate it very much. Man, thank you Absolutely. for the invite. Appreciate it. Thank you for everything, man. It was an honor to be here tonight and. Share the screen with y'all. Just wish we could all be in that same hotel room y'all are in. <laughs> hey, hey. Hold on. Let me, t- let me touch Irving. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, for whoever doesn't know, I'm actually, uh, Irving and I are actually in the same city. We are, uh, the NRC is, is teaching structure collapse uh, this whole week. And I am in structure collapse as a student here taking it through. Uh, NRC, so uh, hashtag train with the best, yeah, something like that. Yeah, train well, to live. Well, it. hey man, it's uh, if you if you guys don't follow Pablo, man, you guys got to follow Pablo and and uh, build your culture. Sean Duffy and them, it's uh, they put out one hell of a great product. Uh, Chief Johnson, um, man, I can't say enough good things about you, dude. Uh, I appreciate it. You you are. Well, Few and far in between, man. There's not many like you. Uh, I agree with you. Uh, just a, a fucking genuinely brother. Like, there's no other ways to say it. Um, you know, I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. Um, if you guys don't follow Chief Johnson, you, you need to. Uh, you guys be doing yourself a disservice if you don't. Um, you guys be doing yourself a disservice if you don't build, uh, follow Build Your Culture. Uh, they, they literally are changing the game. Uh, we're fortunate enough to have friends with Pablo and Sean and, and we're doing stuff together and, uh, we're, we're going to be announcing some big stuff here together. We're, we're going to do a combined, uh, conference. We just, uh, we haven't figured out the location yet. Boom. Uh, so, uh, awesome. as always do your damn job. That's, it. That, that's a new logo right there. That's the new logo. My first time, it's, first time it's shown out. Hey, I want that on. I want that logo on a hat right up the front, man. 
Yeah, I'm getting it, man. My mom, my mom actually does embroidery. She has a little business, so I'm I'm gonna get some hats made and some new stickers, and I'm gonna get some cups made, and we're gonna be rocking and rolling with it, man. And and it's all because of brothers like y'all. I mean, Herb and and Pablo and Duffy and Peppered and I mean Rob. I just I, I, I'm gonna miss if I start naming people, but y'all have no, truly no, changed my life. Y'all have truly you changed took my life. Out of my mouth, Chief. You took the words out of my mouth. At the end of the day, everybody that's on this on uh, commenting down the comment on the comments on there, everybody that's on the screen right now, we are a product of the people that we surround ourselves with. You know, uh, from uh, our cadre here uh, from from build your culture, and I use cadre. You know, like our friends, the, the guys that that we surround ourselves with. You know, our friends. Uh, Chris into, into Targlio. God, I hate your last name, bro. Tag, tag is <laughs> literally down. You know, just came back from Task Force Six deployment. Part part of your culture. Tony Gillen, you know, Kyle Foley. These guys are these, these guys are friends that like we all have this common bond that we just we enjoy the fire service. We enjoy the passion that that just comes out. You know, like Irby, Rob, Greg. You know, uh, Dave. You know, like chief yourself, like, and you literally will start like name dropping guys for for an hour. But the truth of the matter is, like, all of these guys that I just said have one thing in common. We all have one thing. You can fake a lot of shit, but you can't fake passion. That's it. You cannot fake passion. Fuckers will call you out in a heartbeat. Well, they'll be like, "Nah, this guy's full of shit." You can fake a lot, but you can't fake passion. We're all passionate fuckers, man. And uh, and you know, normalize saying "I love you." So I love you all. Uh, and thank you uh, for the uh, invite on, brother. Yeah, no, 100%, man. And you guys know that you guys are family. You guys are welcome here anytime. Um, we're going to give a quick shout out to uh, the sponsors and then uh, we're going to sign off after that. So I appreciate you guys tuning in. I, I know we were uh, gone for a little bit, but uh, as you guys can see, we were a little busy and we're, we're nonstop. So we appreciate everything. Uh, Breachpoint USAR. The Cam Man Radio Show, first two screen printing. Um, cannot say enough great things about those guys. Uh, you need anything done, screen printing, embroidery. They do all of NRC's uh, screen printing and embroidery. Taylor's Tins, one of the most jam up guys I've ever met in my life. 100%. Dude is amazing. Rescue Systems Unlimited. Um, they are phenomenal. Uh, they're a Genesis provider with a bunch of other equipment. They, they, they do solid. Uh, Forge Fire uh, makes some of the best training props out there. Nozzleman Leather, the only leather uh, company that NRC wears. And then uh, a huge shout out to Miko Fire. Uh, Bobby Gonzalez, the VP of the company. Uh, the most stand-up dude. Uh, on, uh, honestly, he is a believer in the fire service, loves the fire service, and give you the shirt off his back. Um, the other person that we forgot to put up here, I apologize, is Drager. Um, Drager and Lion Gear, uh, they're big sponsors of NRC, so we appreciate them as well. Um, none of this would be where it's at, that this podcast, if it wasn't for you guys tuning in all the time and literally texting and, and commenting, hey, when are you guys putting it back out? We apologize. We're going to, we're going to keep trying to get uh, more content out there, but, uh, Honestly, we, we appreciate you guys. Pablo, I appreciate you. Chief Johnson, I appreciate you guys so much. And uh, until the next one. All right, buddy. Love you, dude. Y'all be careful. Thank you. Thank you.